it's Sam. I'm here with Visit Alexi. And this week's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different, but still on brand for NIMFED alumni. We're going to look into the past. So we've noticed that we're running out of ways to be a baddie this summer. And in order to re-embody baddie girl summer, we thought we would look into some baddies of days past and we thought there was no better inspiration than the Bond girls. And so we're trying to make this a Bond girl summer. And hopefully you guys will enjoy a little special extra tidbit of us interviewing an actual Bond girl from the movie The Spy Who Loved Me later in this episode. So we were lucky enough to be able to go straight to the source with some of our top secret intelligence. And so later in the episode, we have on Caroline Monroe, who is Naomi in the 1977 Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me. So yeah, got a Bond girl on, which is really exciting, and her lovely daughter, Iona, as well. Yeah, we're very excited. I just watched The Spy Who Loved Me a few days ago in preparation, and... She is definitely an inspiration. She's a very mischievous character. In that film, I recommend you guys go watch it. She also has a very impressive array of acting credits and some very iconic films. She has a brief singing career. Yeah, I've been really attracted to the concept of Bond girls because another um, thing that happens in the summer is that you have to buy swimsuits and... Lots of people have been commenting on how like hellish the landscape is of buying swimsuits and the cuts of swimsuits and how much they cost and what they're made of. But I found myself reflecting on Bond Girl swimwear as a major inspiration um, personally. But also we were talking about brocat and grappling with masculinity. And I feel like there's no greater symbol of masculinity globally than James Bond and the James Bond franchise that's been running for decades now. Yeah, there's just like such a wealth of material to tackle there. But the main thing about the James Bond movies is how formulaic they are. They kind of place the titular character in, it's like they spin a wheel of like locations and villains and women and ethnicities that he can encounter. And he never really dies. He just always reappears in the next movie completely unscathed and with no memories of his past trauma. So he's kind of like Barbie also for men, is something I was thinking mm-hmm. of. I kind of want to get into naming just a few quick statistics to kind of... I mean, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with the Bond movies and the tropes of it, but I think once you kind of start reading the true numbers of like how interchangeable all of the characters are in this franchise, it can be pretty impressive. So for example, there have been 72 total Bond girls in the series and six Bonds. Any any woman who has any connection to James Bond is a Bond girl. And the unique thing about them is that no matter which side they're on for or against him or ambivalent towards him or indifferent or even lesbian, they all are eventually seduced by him in one way or another, if not like rizzed up. (laughs) Um, I kind of want to read a quote from Roald Dahl, who was one of the screenwriters for the earlier Bond films. Wait, like Willy Wonka Roald Dahl? (laughs) I think it, yeah. Yeah, like, um, I think he wrote, uh, yeah, You Only Live Twice. Yeah, the, the Willy Wonka guy wrote You Only Live Twice, the Bond film. And... 
he said that this was the the formula that he was going to follow while screenwriting the Bond film. Three girls, no more, no less. Girl number one is pre-Bond. She stays around roughly through the first reel of the picture. Then she is bumped off by the enemy, preferably in Bond's arms. Girl number two is anti-Bond. She works for the enemy and stays throughout the middle third of the picture. She must capture Bond, and Bond must save himself by bowling her over with sheer sexual magnetism. The girl should also be bumped off, preferably in an original fashion. Girl number three is violently pro-Bond. She occupies the final third of the picture. She must on no account be killed. So that was his formula for Bond girls, which I think applies for most films, honestly. Yeah, no, it definitely is interesting because I think our generation grew up with the Daniel Craig Bonds. And I don't know, I, I kind of, when I was watching them when I was younger, I didn't really think about the secondary Bond girls as as such. I was kind of just focusing on like Eva Green's beauty but yeah, when you look, when you watch them like with that in mind, it's it's quite clear how they're structured. Yeah, there's a really good um piece by Sam Chris published in Spike magazine about the history of the Bond franchise and kind of like a Lacanian analysis of what kind of fantasies it projects. And it was published after No Time to Die came out. And he made some really interesting observations about how, you know, this used to be such like a strong formula in the past Bond films of like the 60s, 70s, 80s. And Bond, like, would always have no memory of, like, his past romantic encounters and would just, like, start from scratch with a clean slate every time. But in No Time to Die, he kind of, like, settles down and retires and has a kid and then in the end, like, sacrifices himself for his family, which is pretty unprecedented. Normally women are just sacrificing themselves for him or are just casualties that are pretty inconsequential. So, yeah, I really want to talk to Caroline about what she thinks about the evolution of bond girls or bond women even now in um the overall narrative of james bond's life and how he's becoming human (laughs) yeah caroline was actually her role as naomi and um she was the first bond girl to be directly killed by james bond so yeah this is something where i want to get into um, the seriality of Bond girls and kind of what they represent in Western culture. I was reading an article, which I'll link on JSTOR, open access, <laughs> about Bond girls and femininity and how they like, I don't know, they represent this sort of like seriality of like linear Western thinking and how they're almost like archives for like periods of history. The things about Bond's... Uh, James Bond and also Bond girls is that they're just almost like Western archives for moments throughout history. And that's best represented in how like we often think of this actress was like the first Bond girl to be above the age of 50, which was Monica Bellucci. And then this is the first black Bond girl. This is the first Bond girl who who was married. This is the first Bond girl who, you know, James Bond fell in love with that type of thing. And so they end up becoming almost like markers of liberal progress in western society for some weird reason that's so real yeah it's like presidents kind of it's so real yeah they're like presidents yeah yeah also with i was bond girls body fashion and gender and she talks about how both eva green and daniel craig agreed that he was the blonde girl and not her <laughs> yeah because she was he was naked more than she was in the film and i guess a bit more sexualized in some ways 
which obviously with those Daniel Craig films being filmed in the 2000s and 2010s, it, I think, really marks people being interested in a different idea of feminism than in the past. Well, this is where I will disagree with Eva Green a little bit and not like something that go off <laughs> I actually feel like um <laughs> not her being your op <laughs> yeah. yeah no I love her I, love I her think so much. she is gorgeous she's so hot I feel like beautiful this is one of, it's gonna be one of those like rap tv like headlines it's like Sam from Nympho alumni said what about <laughs> said what about Eva Green <laughs> Dude, I want to. I do kind of want to beef with her just because I respect her no. so much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She can. Take I want to have like an enemy that I can respect as much as Eva Green. But <laughs> basically, something that I noticed about James Bond that in his own sexuality that interested me greatly is that his relationships with women embody this kind of like reversal. You know how like traditionally in literature or mythology, men are weakened and vulnerable due to their sexuality and women act as these like Jezebels or Salome's and will trap men in these honey pots and kind of be like, haha, you're just like weak and a horny guy. And like, I'm going to like manipulate you. What's interesting about the bond films is that like bond does that to women, which I like, don't think I can ever really recall any other major mythological figure that can do that to women. Cause it's usually like a reversal so I think like Bond is supposed to be naked for most of those movies and he's supposed to be the object of desire even more so than the Bond girls even though they obviously are objects of desire but I think Bond is for like a lustful gaze from both men and women I think. Yeah, he does. It, it's really funny the um Spike article makes really good points about how like I think the author saw the the newest Bond film No Time to Die with his dad. And talks about how James Bond just has such, like, a daddish energy. He, like, makes these terrible jokes and likes classic cars and is, like, nerdy about gadgets. So it's interesting to think that, yeah, I don't really know any young men who, like, look up to James Bond. <laughs> it's mostly, like, older men that fantasize about, I guess, being free and having, like, no attachments. Because that's kind of his whole thing is he's just, like, so detached. Like, I guess he has a boss, but that's it. And his boss is interestingly like a mother figure, at least in the movie since Pierce Brosnan, Dame Judi Dench being his boss and her being the only Bond girl in the series to not have some sort of sexual connection to him. And she just is this older, wiser woman and represents almost like a mother figure. He's a mama's boy. He's a mama's boy. He is a mama's boy, dude. Yeah, it's so interesting watching the different bonds, I guess, reflect different male beauty standards of the decades as well. Because, I don't know, Daniel Craig, they made him really muscular. Like, the other bonds didn't look anything like that. Yeah. Do you guys follow that guy, Die Work? We are on Twitter. He's just like this guy who talks about menswear and yeah. tailoring, but he's like always roasting yeah. Daniel Craig for wearing suits that are like way too tight. Like they just don't know how to um, make a suit for his robust figure, I think. Well, he's just kind of Lego-like a little bit to me, mm -hmm. you know, like he's very square in every way. And his face is almost like comically smoldering. I feel like the other, the previous Bonds always were <laughs> yeah. like raising one eyebrow and they were a bit like cheekier and flirtier. But yeah, Daniel Craig is just a bit, he's doing the Zoolander face all the time to me. Yeah, that's true. And he also is, a, he also does have that like blue eyed Stare. Yeah, buy him some you know. brown contacts. <laughs> I know. But do you guys think he's like a bond for the more so the male gaze? Because he does have, it reminds me how people say like, oh, guys, um, go to the gym to impress each other. It's like not, like women don't actually want like a super muscular guy. Versus the past Bond guys where, yeah, they did have a, a less robust 
figure. <laughs> He's also quite like short. No, I, it's yeah. hard for me to tell. We should do like a dad survey on like, I'm sure like this studio that makes these movies has done a million rounds of like A-B testing with Bond actors. But yeah, I mean, my dad is a huge James Bond fan. I watched No Time to Die with him. And I think he was less impressed by Bond as a figure and more just impressed by like the scenarios. I think mm-hmm. the situations are getting crazier and like the stunts are getting crazier and the things that they can pull off. But the individual charisma is, it's not as crazy anymore. Cause I mean like the first Bond movie, Dr. No in 1962, like the plot isn't really anything that crazy and he goes to Jamaica, but the Riz is crazy. And the Bond girl in that, her name is Honey Ryder. And she shows up in a bikini and she is a seashell vendor. <laughs> which is just like such an unserious job. But that one, it wasn't really as much about like explosions and like going to 200 different countries. Uh, It was just more about the Riz. I feel like Daniel Craig's Bond was way too influenced by like Jason Bourne a little bit, where it was just a guy you just like punch in the face a bunch of times and he just like doesn't even flinch and he can just like karate chop you in the neck and you fall, which obviously Jason Bourne was influenced by Bond, but it's just like a different type of person. Like I think... Daniel Craig doesn't have the like, yeah, sexy swagger. Like, I can't imagine him like laying on like a polar bear fur carpet naked, like half out <laughs> with like a martini and like That'd a blonde really girl, you know? Yeah, like, no, he, this he's, is he's true. too hardened. Like, he seems like well, it's because they they tried to make him, you know, free of the gadgetry, free of the camp, which obviously the Bourne movies, which are some of my favorite movies. Uh, Jason Bourne is like a super soldier, you know. Mm-hmm. So I guess he is inherently free of those things but i agree i i guess they also they tried to bring his trauma into the new ones they tried to be yeah. like show the cracks in his edges so he's yeah he has ptsd so he's not like laying on the polar bears yeah <laughs> the himbo bond agenda has completely disappeared <laughs> yeah well that's it's very the, yeah the bourgeoisie is not as charming as they once were yeah. you know his like bond used to just be uh, like the icon for like a rich suave like interesting man you know yeah, yeah, and he always kept his cool. I think that Daniel Craig can sometimes lose his cool, but it's because he's allowed himself to form attachments to Leah Sedu and such. Yeah, he's an empath. Yeah, he is an empath. <laughs> but... Dark empath. He's an empath. He's, a, he's definitely a dark empath. We should talk more about Ursula Andress, who plays the Bond girl, Honey Rider, in Dr. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, wait, this backstory is crazy. Okay, okay, so let's get into this actually first. So her backstory, one thing that, once again, is another trope of the Bond girl is that they have trauma. And her particular trauma is deeply, deeply out of pocket. So she was a member of, like, a colonial family in Jamaica. And the overseer of her family's land raped her, broke her nose during her assault, And then she became a shell collector so that she could pay for her nose job. That (laughs) is like, that's a mic drop to me. I didn't really even know what to say to that. That's, um, man. Um, It it really... People were really crazy back in the day, dude. This is like, this shit (laughs) is, I don't know. That's a, but yeah, this is very out of pocket. She doesn't need a nose job either, you know? She already has one in the movie. Like, I, I also no. love the yeah. entendre names of Bond girls. That's another, like, signature characteristic. And I think that got parodied a lot in things like Austin Powers. Um, yeah, Pussy Galore also. That's why I thought of her. She has, like, really 
dramatic backstory she's like a lesbian when bond meets her but then they sleep together and he's like i thought you were a lesbian and then she's like well i never met a real man before (laughs) yeah which is kind of out of pocket but she has like this whole lesbian organized crime ring called pussy galore and her acrobats (laughs) and they're like sexy lesbian cat burglars who all live together in like the bronx or something (laughs) yeah it's kind of one of those things like with marvel too where it always happens that like accessories or villains are 10 times more interesting than like the central figure the fact mm-hmm. that the Bond girls have all this trauma, but James Bond like kind of doesn't, it, it shows that they really are the stars of the show secretly. Well, that's something that I kept running into when researching James Bond discourse was like everyone does obsess over the fact that he's like a serial number and not really like he's 007. He has like no identity. He has no life outside of like what he does. That was in the Sam Chris article as well, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he is almost like a blank slate and emotionless and like a vessel and bond girls are like disposable almost because like they aren't transferable into other periods of time and them being like historical markers and artifacts you can't really transfer them over to like another decade because like they are so unique and bizarre you know and absurd yeah this is not entirely related to that but in terms of like going between decades so obviously ursula andress who plays honey writer is i think her image is probably the most iconic Bond girl. I mean, she's wearing her bathing suit emerging from the sea. And I think that's probably what a lot of people think about first when they think of iconic Bond girls. But I was watching that scene in Dr. No when she first appears and she looks so amazing. But there's something about it where you can see just the beauty standards by the decade change because her figure wouldn't be celebrated in the same way today which i don't think is a good thing i think it's a bad thing thing. but it is a bad thing but it's like she has a very like beautiful body but obviously she doesn't have you know going back to the the baddie fatigue she doesn't have like a bdl you know well the thing is is that back to this the swimsuit discourse i've actually had such great luck this summer i bought five new swimsuits all of them vintage from different vintage stores a couple in la some here in austin and something that i realized about old cut swimsuits which make my body look great is that like the hem like the line starts at your hip dips for some reason Mm. like it literally starts at your hip dips and like elongating the torso that's something i've been ragging on since like the origin of this podcast is like if you want to like have a curvaceous figure, elongating your torso is one of the best things that you can do. And it seems almost paradoxical because we lived in an age of high waist, you know, and like right mm-hmm. now we're at like mid rise, but um, I think like lower waist and, and elongation should be people's goals if they want to have that like traditionally vintage like look to their body, you know? Yeah, that's so real. That's yeah, I've been on yeah. the on the hunt for a bond girl swimsuit because they're always kind of low-waisted and have a thick tool belt of sorts i guess honey riders is to keep her shell shocking goods inside but i love like that (laughs) contrast of like a utilitarian part of a bikini like i feel like that summarizes the whole duality of the bond girls in general and um yeah, I'd love to talk more about the beauty standard for bond girls or just generally like some of their fashion characteristics I think the high point for classic Bond, like Golden Age Bond, was like in the 60s and 70s. 
And you can definitely see that beauty standard of the 70s as being somewhat more like progressive. Bond girls are usually quite tan and if not muscular, then like toned. They don't really have BBL shapes, but they're more likely to have a more rectangular physique. And even though they can be like super girly and show up in like lingerie and stuff, I think an even more Bond girl vibe is to be wearing some kind of jumpsuit or like utilitarian low cut play on like a masculine uniform. Yeah, I mean, we talked about we talked about kind of like the history of the bimbo a lot on the podcast and definitely the 60s and 70s when we saw like women's liberation Mm -hmm. really changed um kind of even like the physique that was seen for bombshells on the screen like they did have that like more muscular what's it called when you like take someone over your back and throw them on the ground like doing that to bond type of thing yeah like that's like that's athletic yeah builds yeah yeah like athletic they were capable women yeah it's just like yeah the they were capable women and they were kind of like the opposite of the Marilyn Monroe type where you can just imagine her laxatically lying around with her curvaceous figure. I mean, is, wasn't Denise Richards a Bond girl? Was she a Bond girl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I really appreciate about the Bond girls is that they are almost entirely like very womanly figures, yeah. you know? Um, They're so womanly. And I think for womanly women, not to be too repetitive, one aspect that always makes them very beautiful is how they always have a bit sharper features, which I guess could be considered masculine or yang features, Mm -hmm. you know, like Grace Jones being a Bond girl. Yeah. um, And her being so androgynous. Um, I always felt like Denise Richards has such a sharp face that makes her kind of like this mixture of masculine and feminine eva green is probably the number one example i would think um to make it like a more korean example for their categorization system i don't know what the yang thing is definitely really true i feel like most bond girls have like a fox-like or like cat-like face do you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah it's true just a very like pointed look to them um I read on uh, actually on this the James or the Bond Girl Wikipedia page, so I can't confirm this statistic. But apparently, most of the Bond girls have like really wide set features, um, which is it was just interesting. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say that the the sexual revolution point is really interesting because I think that's also like one of the things that people grapple with in like trying to decide if James Mm -hmm. Bond is like feminist or not. Because on one hand. The Bond girls being so interchangeable and disposable doesn't like seem that good. And they're often just like an accessory to him as the main character. But also for the time, I feel like it was pretty progressive that like these women were so independent and like sexually liberated and would just like have sex with him after meeting him once. Um, And, you know, they had real jobs like pilots and spies and uh, murderers and henchwomen, which are... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe some of those aren't real jobs. Yeah. But I've been thinking a lot about this with um, Jane Birkin dying because I think a lot of people, sometimes you like look at her relationship and you're like, oh, like, you know, she's really young, he's really old, blah, blah, love story. But then in a lot of coverage, people have been mentioning how she was considered like to be really sexually uh, liberated at the time because she was kind of willing to be really open about her love and like sex life and kind of do what she wanted well 
So things were just, things were different back then, I think. I might I might even this might actually just validate y'all's point, but I think there's also like this converse where it the Bond movies display also like the worst of both genders, you know, where it's like women are these disposable sexual creatures and men are these like serialized cogs in the machine who just work and are like tools for like, like a larger murder. Yeah, exactly. And like um <laughs> Ian Fleming, very famous Ian Fleming quote, all of history is just sex and violence. You know, it does embody like even though they are so whimsical and full of life and red blooded, the Bond films do embody a sort of nihilistic view of the world, you know? It's a I feel like there's they're not that um sexist because it exhibits like Kind of the best and the worst of of gender, you know. Yeah, I read this. I read this quote once again from the Bond Girls' Body, Fashion, and Gender book, which was from Terrence Young, who directed three of the Bond movies in the sixties. And it, he said, of Bond Girls, they are women of the nuclear age, freer and able to make love when they want to, without worrying about it afterwards. And I thought that reference of the nuclear age was really interesting because those like geopolitical tensions come up all the time in bomb yeah, movies. there's like always a giant bomb that he's like trying to stop from launching yeah, yeah. and all of it all the i think also um there's a lot of tension with east and west in the early bond movies as well yeah. even in the spy, who, the loved spy me. who loved me yeah even in the spy who loved me the whole thing is centered around a tension between um russia or ussr and um yeah there's also from russia with love there's also like a i don't know what class james bond is supposed to represent i mean i feel like he's just um petit bourgeoisie or something because he just like flies around in business class and like everything that he does is just like because of his job but there is a real like deep-seated fear of billionaires that's um seated throughout all of the movies uh there's always just like some eccentric billionaire that he's like trying to stop um, so it really is, it makes a good case for like the halting of unbridled wealth accusation or something. The, okay, just cause not to get into submarine discourse or whatever, but like <laughs> with like uh, the spy who loved me, it, it was very, themed, yeah. it was so sub, I mean, obviously the, one of the main plot points is like a missing submarine or the evil billionaire was like some weird eccentric out of touch rich guy who just wanted to explore the bottom of the ocean and had like no he was just very out of touch with the way things worked and not like not as it's not as if bond's reality works in any type of like realistic logic but i mean that literally is the plot of um the spy who loved yeah. me is yeah the billionaire who wants to make a basically an atlantis and kind of like uh wreck the the earth on land it was very but like don't you just love that don't you just love that kind of thing it's so fun well, this is where i feel like we need we need more richard branson's and less elon musk you know like we need more like billionaires that are like cookie yeah. in like a in a james bond way you know what i mean like uh, i guess they're all like very cookie and like a somewhat touch grass type of way because i feel like Elon is kooky on Twitter, but Richard Branson is like kooky, kooky in the streets in real yeah. life. Yeah, kooky on the streets. Yeah, and like you gotta take you gotta take your plans off Twitter. Is a big idea. Yeah, yeah, that's so real. I also, if this was an architecture podcast, like one of my 
super favorite interest is like evil layer architecture and Ken Adam who's like the guy who was the production designer for a lot of the Bond films was just like so amazing at creating these spaces that were like in volcanoes or underwater or like on the side of a mountain that villains would live in that were just like so cool um yeah I feel like Kanye's trying to bring that back he really wants to like probably make Atlantis or something it's so true yeah I feel I feel depressed though because one thing I noticed when I was watching these Bond films from the 20th century was how the sets were so amazing but they were so obviously fake and I think that's like what makes them so charming to our eyes now is like just knowing how much attention went into making these things versus everything being CGI'd. And that that does remind me a bit of like, what would a what would a Bond girl look like in the post kind of like Instagram filter age? Because obviously the last Bond film was only a couple years ago, but how do you say, say her name? Leia Seydoux. It's kind of crazy that they Leia went like Sidhu. French New Wave with her. I, I think is like a casting choice. I think that was a good casting. I think that like she to me, I think has the type of features that don't necessarily correspond with like the age of Instagram yeah, face. And I thought that was quite nice. But now wondering, you know, there's been talks about the next Bond films potentially with Aaron Taylor Johnson as Bond, oh. and what what would that Bond girl look like with all this this smoothness that kind of dominates aesthetics yeah. now? Yeah, I think Leia Seydoux was chosen because she actually is like super glamorous and looks amazing on red carpets mm-hmm. and stuff, but her styling in the movies is really quotidian. Like she's just always wearing like a big sweater and holding a mug, kind of. So I think she's mm-hmm. like the yeah. emotional they yeah. Her. Um, mm-hmm. but I also really like. I don't. I don't know. I think. In the only person I can think of is like Cindy Kimberly or like Orion Carlotto or like one of those Instagram I girls. I literally guess. I feel like they have Bond girl vibes to me. Oh like, God. do you guys agree? Like, who would you cast as the next Bond girl? Okay, well, not Orion Carlotto except the fact that she also used to be a lesbian. Wait, yeah, that's, that's so, so Bondian. Bond yeah, yeah, but like for me, like I don't know. I just don't. I, it has to be someone. That has proven sex appeal, like on the red carpet. Julia I think Fox would be amazing, also. Julia Fox oh, would be really no. good. I think also be- because she has um, been through a lot <laughs> recently. <laughs> That's true. Like, and she she does have that backstory. She's that incredible. She was like Adam Sandler's Bond girl, essentially, in Uncut Gems. Yeah, That's she so was. True. But let's like actually think about this. Yeah, and then I guess what I was saying before was like they have to have this amazing. I think charisma outside of like self-manufactured images, which I just cannot confirm for Cindy Kimberly. And um oh my god, Lily Rose Death, <gasps> that is like she the thing is she definitely has Bond girl vibes. But she doesn't have that um angular, you know, the va va voom. Like I feel like the Bond girl literally like established like the womanly. I don't know. Yeah, you've really got me thinking because Lily does have those kind of classic, those features that are a mix of kind of like girlish but sharp and angular and also the really wide set features as if well. I had to bet money on who they're gonna choose you know who I would honestly say that they might yeah go on fucking Margaret Qualley oh <gasps> yeah they're definitely gonna do that her retro ass oh my visual. god because she also but she does have that she has that quirky personality as well which is so on par with what a blonde girl would be like now mm-hmm. in terms of she's a wisecracker for sure um her like dominatrix movie was just like all about her wisecracking <laughs> really 
Yeah, essentially. Okay. It was very like Catherine Hepburnish. Like I, I think she does. That's why she was cast in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think she does have like an old Hollywood super vintage vibe about her mm-hmm. and also because her mom is obviously an actress mm-hmm. as well i think like when you can see that someone's face looked good in the 20th century it gives them more legitimacy somehow in in my eyes yeah. same thing with like um sorry i'm said lila Moss. same thing with billy rose Depp. what about mia goth oh hell no nah. <laughs> no she's like, <laughs> I need to that. wait she could be she would be a really good henchwoman because she has that like crazy girl energy or whatever mm-hmm. oh hand. yeah it would be an interesting play on the henchwoman if she was just like you really think you're gonna get past me <laughs> like she could be like yeah. a, <laughs> like a psycho like baby doll type of yeah play. um I'm just trying to think of who has like almost this idea of 20th century features. It's hard to find. It's hard to find these days because also, it you is, know, yeah. okay, can I actually not to change the subject, but can I express like a That's fear? Okay. It's a safe space. So my fear, I feel like um, I loved the Bond girl aesthetic, but it's it's something that I feel like could be co-opted by the clean girl aesthetic and totally desexualized by it. You know, I feel like it's so, it could actually very much be. That was what happened with Leia Sadu. She was wearing straight up Reformation yeah. the whole time, which that is not like the OG, a clean girl brand, but there's a lot of similarities, I would Wait. say, in terms of being like minimalistically classic, et cetera. Yeah. Um, what about J Law as a Bond girl? Speaking of Reformation, um, she does have. She does have all the characteristics that we listed. She's too slapstick. She though, is a right? wi- she's a wisecracker. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she she does have range. I, guess. I think she might be she a little too soft, like face, like facially and body wise. Um, like she's so hourglassy. She's definitely in shape, but um, she's one of those like in a kibby way. Like I I don't think I don't know. Like maybe she could. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say I I mentioned this to you guys the other day, but Michaela seven one zero zero two on Instagram. I don't know your last name, but I know that you listen to the podcast. <laughs> you, um, she is like has the craziest Bond girl vibe to me. Like she also because she has a pixie cut. I mean, she's literally one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. But um, I think also having that pixie cut as well, I think um, ties into that kind of like utilitarian in action sort Wait, of thing. What about Sarah Snyder? No, <laughs> Sarah Snyder. Like, like I, I like just I can't imagine her in the world. She, she was just. just she can't, I can't imagine her like uttering a she's word. She's literally though. gonna be like in Nike Tech joggers, like for like <laughs> the bond. Like I don't. I can't imagine her in anything no, but she, like I, Nike I shoes. Like I just. I just can't imagine her caring if James Bond died. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like she'd be like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she probably she, was like a drink quote or something. Vape, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think of like every every woman alive. Like, that's the thing. It's like, oh, you know what? I uh, Zoe, Zoe Kravitz. Kravitz. Yeah, she does. Once again, she has that like the 20th century face with her mom yeah. and dad being like yeah, sex so symbols. Casting nepo babies. It's the only thing that works. Yeah. I was also thinking. I'm trying to think of like young kind of um, buzzy actresses. Obviously, a really big one is jenna ortega who does like she <laughs> no no okay I'm, no no i'm not saying that's a good idea i'm saying like let's discuss she was wearing that like little hood that grace jones would wear sometimes like the alia styling but it, mm. but it didn't I, bond girls need to be tall that is another yes. thing is like they She's are um, bit, yeah. pretty tall what about shakira 
I feel like she didn't hear that. <laughs> I feel like I'm just trying to think of like, okay, I'm full disclosure. I Googled hot modern actresses. I'm like on a list. I don't know. The funniest um, thing to me ever, though, is that Beyonce was not a Bond girl, but she was a fucking Austin Powers girl. Yeah. And she slayed. She did. That was really iconic. Um, what about, okay, I'm I'm just, I'm I'm brainstorming. Timothy Chalamet I'm really thinking really Imagine Timothy Chalamet as Bond, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is a really good one. Uh, like, who do men Zendaya. like? Like, this is a really good <laughs> question. Sydney Sweeney. Like, I, I don't know. The thing is, like, I actually feel like Wait, Hunter Schaefer. Weirdly. I can see both of them. Mm-hmm. I can see all of those. The whole cast of you. I can see them all being cast. I can see them all being cast as Bond girls. Yeah, actually, because let's think about it. like, like Sydney Sweeney. She does once again. People compare her a lot to like a 20th century kind of actress because she isn't like a singer she's not a podcast host she really focuses on her acting she also was cast as barbarella which i've been meaning to bring oh, up I cannot um, wait. because speaking of the transformation of like the 50s bimbo into the kind of action figure-esque liberated bimbo a big figure there was jane fonda and Bar- barbarella mm-hmm. Who obviously Jane Fonda is like the symbol of athleticism. At the time, she was also a nepo baby, so it's really making some points. Yeah, yeah, this is true. But I think because she was like an action hero, right, in Barbarella, so there's like implied athleticism mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have seen with someone like Marilyn Monroe in any of her That's movies. True. Like the, that, all she did was like kind of like bounce around and um, you know, recline. But yeah, and then Hunter Schaefer i don't know she's like really beautiful i mean i really like that they cast monica bellucci above the age of 50 as a bond girl so maybe we can cast like, shakira uh, <laughs> yeah cast i don't know i like shakira's brunera a lot so like i just think that maybe she should bring that back i think someone um, like nicole kidman if we want to do another um, oh yeah older oh wow older bond woman she was she would slay uh, she would kill it um, i fisher from oh, now you see who me would you guys <laughs> Who do you guys think would be like the worst Bond girl that you could imagine from our our contemporary set? I would say Jenna Ortega. Um, yeah, Jenna Ortega. I agree because I think they want her to be like a bit of a like a dark screwball, and I don't really like. <laughs> I really don't like a dark screwball. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked up Gen Z um, actresses, and I only a... two people came up. <laughs> and I've never, I've never <laughs> heard of either of them. Helena Zengel. <laughs> And Lexi Underwood? Like, who are they? Oh, I do not know who that is. I just, like, made like, that's not real. Chloe Grace Moretz would be an amazing girl. Dude, that would be so fucking weird. She would literally be in the... Dude, no. Okay, we're getting into dangerous dirty. No, no, we're just amazing celebrities. <laughs> like, like, Joey King, Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> Wait, okay. Wait, Addison Ray. I have a couple <gasps> Obviously. Of cons- oh wait, my god, no, Addison. Wait, no, she would slay it. I can't wait for Thanksgiving. I can't wait for Thanksgiving. What's happening? Eli Roth directing Addison Ray. It's it's a, oh. it's her new movie. Her new movie. So she's I in. actually I'm a big mm-hmm. Eli Roth fan, actually. Um I think it's very Caroline Monroe that she's doing this because it's like a horror film. And she's just gonna be like a scream queen in it. And I just think like 80s B movie scream queens are like also an aspirational type of beauty. So I'm really excited for that. I movie. agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I want to um, put forward a couple options for consideration, and uh, one I think that people would say is like Sophie Thatcher, who's in Yellow Jackets. But I don't know about that. I don't know her. 
<laughs> I don't know her oh, either. You, she, yeah. She, she she like I know her from the show, but also she used to date someone. My my friend, my an old friend of mine's ex. But um, her as a Bond girl, Madeline Klein as well. I could see people. Oh yeah, thinking Madeline Klein would be a good choice because she is. How, she has angular some angular features Who's as Madeline well. Klein? She was in um, Outer Banks. In Outer and she Banks. was also in uh, Glass Onion with Daniel Craig. Um, <laughs> with Daniel yeah. Craig, she was pretty amazing in that. Show. I did like uh, Knives Out, honestly. No, I also feel like one of the reasons it feels like the Euphoria girls would be good choices is because it is one of the shows where a lot of attention to detail is put into the costuming, mm-hmm. uh, which I wrote about. For A24. Okay, well, I think our strongest choice is to wrap this part of the show up, which we didn't plan on, but... <laughs> we just went really into it. This is like a would-you-rather of who, epic who, proportions. Like, it's like, would-you-rather have someone as this Bond girl or this other one? Yeah. But I think I'm really excited to see what everyone else comes up with. And obviously, this should be used for... If you're casting for the new Bond movie and you're listening... I think Addison Ray wins for me. Yeah, we should do like, a bracket! Um, <gasps> We should post a bracket online. Yeah, we should definitely do a bracket. Dude, we yeah. should. When is that new? Okay, okay. Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson as Bond. I not my not the vibe. I don't want that to happen. Really, I like him. No, he's like um, I don't know. I it's because I I I watched Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging so much as a teenager that like I can't separate him from the role of like heartthrob musician British boy. You know. Like he's too indie sleaze that to me. That sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, like I feel like he should be known for that role. Uh, yeah, you need to divest because he has had a lot of. Um, well, the thing is, I don't. What I don't want to happen with um, Aaron is obviously he has a very, very controversial marriage to Sam Taylor Wood um, because they have major age gap between them. And I, I, that being attached to the, the Bond movies would be crazy. Yeah, like a boy who was groomed. <laughs> First Bond. <laughs> bond boy to be groomed yeah i i bet we're gonna get a bisexual bond um anytime soon so it will be aaron taylor johnson too i just don't think we can get a bisexual bond because i i do think bond movies are probably one of the last franchises that is really besides like the marvel well actually there's a lot of franchises but they're really i think they really went mass commercial no but he was already bisexual he was already bisexual he was bisexual bisexual in that movie with javier bardem where javier bardem had that horrible bleach blonde dye job oh we really are in the end anyways i guess i'm like (laughs) (laughs) but this is also like 2014 or something so it was actually like it's like really recent yeah true that was really it was like 10 years ago almost yeah, but there hasn't been that many bomb movies in the last ten years. Oh, I quickly wanted to talk a bit more about Eva Green. Mm-hmm. This is more of a personal anecdote, but for some reason, like when I saw that movie as a kid, I think she like literally formed my idea of like beauty and sexuality. Me too. Something about her, like when she's wearing like the love um knot necklace and I actually rewatched those movies in the past year and she uh, Bond like picked out a dress for her to wear. And it's like this weird kind of purple halter <laughs> dress. But as a kid, I was like, this is like the most beautiful thing I've ever mm-hmm. seen. And like, I can't, I can't, I can't move past it. Yeah. She um, is a, such a unique beauty because I've never, you know, the low brow bone, you the know, low brow, that's, that's yeah. so rare in any type of person, you know, the 
mischievous smirk and like i think though what's weird is like she can get into kind of like steampunk beauty territory because she's Mm -hmm. so like witch-like or vampiric you know um Mm -hmm. you know i think that i don't know yeah she's so beautiful she's got such a yeah powerful dominating energy to her you know yeah she really does and you know thinking about this idea of wisecracking women and it does feel like we're missing that a bit right now and who could be cast for the role. Um, she's Vesper Lind, her Bond girl character, is very wisecracking and very sharp. But looking back at the last Bond movie with Daniel Craig, well, Anna de Armas's side Bond girl character is, like, really playful. Mm-hmm. But she's not, like, witty or, like, biting at all. Which I don't really like that characterization of a Bond girl as much. Like kind of like silly. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing silly about what he does. Yeah, he mm-hmm. kills people. It's not he's funny. To kill. It's not funny. He's, he's yeah. to kill. I really think that they should let us write a Bond movie. Like I, now, I feel like we're in the writers' room. We could kill it so hard. They need to let us write something. Like we need to direct a movie, TV show. We gotta get like I don't know. I guess we'd have to cross the picket line. True. Well, it would be an independent production, so. <laughs> The wordplay of the Bond franchise is something that we can obviously heavily relate to. Imagine a blowcat Bond girl. I'm just really thinking about what I would write. Like, I'd want him to go to Korea, and obviously, like, there's some kind of evil K-pop agency, and he has to get through all these girls um, who are trying to beat him up Mm. with some choreography. Yeah, that would be really cool. Um, So, guys, let's end with some Bond girl tips for the summer, and then we can talk to Caroline. Bond girl tip from me... I want to say is don't wear sunscreen because I think all of the most beautiful women from this era were like the opposite of sun damage conscious and have the most Mm -hmm. beautiful freckled decolletage and bronze skin. So, you know, put away the SPF and just get out there with some baby oil is what I have to say. I fully agree with this. Um, I would say to cultivate some Bond girl energy, listen to Shirley Bassey, uh, maybe plan a trip to go see like a Vegas residency show. Um, mm-hmm. Embrace the Las Vegas like strip vibe. Um, try to watch some old videos of Siegfried and Roy, like uh, just that carnival-esque like 60s, 70s um, shag carpet glamour. Um, try to cultivate that as much as you can this summer because um, – it's like a nighttime activity, and in this heat, what are you going to be doing in the daytime other than tanning, as Alexi said? Yeah. Um, I think you need to, like, work on your ID, IDGAF attitude, yeah. because I feel like you just, like, I don't know. Blonde girls are always, like, spawning out of nowhere, and um, also to that note, work on your backstory. Mm. I think people need to work on their backstories. Yes. Very good tip. Because yeah. some of you guys don't have good backstories. But you do. You just don't know how to you don't know how to frame Deliver it. You don't it, know yeah. how to pitch it to people. Yeah. Yeah. It's I don't true. know. There is something about um, the Bond girl that's almost like, you know, the annoying millennial thing of being like, my childhood trauma made me spicy. <laughs> oh yeah. But they are all yeah. kind of like that, but they would never say that, obviously. Like you have to work on they would never yeah. say it in that way. Work on packaging your backstory and work on delivering it at the appropriate time in an appropriate way. Do you know who literally has, like, Bond girl vibes in terms of backstories? Who? Meg. That's true. Meg's superstar I was going to say Perla. I feel like, like I don't Bond girl as well. Yeah, Perla. yeah. I mean, that's probably, like, yeah. in the works, like, currently. <laughs> she would. You know what yeah. I mean? 
Yeah, I agree. Um, um and also I f- I think that a Bond girl you know, sometimes we see them as passive, but actually the real passive thing to do is go to a bar you saw on TikTok and like cuz you heard, heard the like hot older men are there and wait for them to talk to you. <laughs> I think a Bond girl you're always in motion. Yeah. You're like you're marching about and then you just encounter some Yeah, they're some always bloke. running into <laughs> running into some guys Him. yeah um or even appearing out of the ocean as like she's literally singing a song honey rider also her full name is honey yeah. child isn't that amazing <laughs> that is definitely um, putting that on my list um oh and then i guess fashion wise i definitely think you know alexi talked about this um in a recent episode the idea of barbie dressing mm-hmm which is like having full sets to wear. Mm. Uh, So obviously that is probably going to take a little more time to get into since you do have to hit the vintage shops for the most part. But maybe just have one little outfit like that that you really like and it'll probably take you really far. Yeah, something really matchy-matchy I think is good. I think style right now is really defined by eclecticism and combining things in this like spinal fluid fits random ass way. But mm-hmm. the essence of Barbie dressing and also Bond girl dressing is just like matchy matchiness, you know, having some kind of like matching two piece set mm-hmm. or something you could drive a helicopter in and then jump out. It, things that are convertible for sure, like having layers in the summer seems hard, but I've noticed that things that button down, like a dress that button down, buttons down, you can like mm-hmm. get a little saucy with it at the reach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, in the words of Anya, one of the Bond girls from The Spy Who Left Me, I think it's important to maintain a positive mental attitude about everything. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I love when they have those little tiny guns. Like, I'm looking at pictures of Bond girls, and they're, like, mm-hmm. holding a gun that's, like, just really small. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, petite, like, petite pistols. It's, like, the idea of, I mean, I guess the whole Bond girl thing is, like, feminizing traditionally masculine things so it's like my utility yeah, strap belt something to your leg this summer my like yeah yeah leg holsters are and garters are very cool mm. yeah angelina jolie like uh kind of what what's that one movie she, she, she's Smith. always in uh no oh, tomb raider yeah. it she's also it's both of those um also yeah wanted yeah she i forgot that she's literally like an action actor like um i forget that that's like her whole thing like she's always an action she would be movies. a good i'm surprised she's never been a bond girl i guess it just hasn't lined i'm up. sure it's been offered to her she was on the books yeah many times probably she's probably like um no i need to be the i need to be james bond you know she's like she's she is a bit too yeah. powerful yeah. It's gone, i don't know it's gone through phases of like prestige and like lowbrowness that's one thing that I've seen a lot online is that, like, at some points it was considered not career suicide, but just, like, a very unserious thing to do. But mm-hmm. Halle Berry did it and then, like, won an Academy Award for Best Actress. Like, wow. Maybe not in that order, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Le- Leia Seydoux, like, was an indie Yeah, actress. they're going to yeah. definitely pull someone from the A24 universe. Um, maybe Mia Goth is right. Oh, upstairs. my God. Yeah, I don't want. I, don't I want think Mia Goth is right. I have to be honest because I think she does toe that line of like speaking to the quote unquote male and female gazes. Yeah, you know, I bet Scarlett Johansson's just thinking about voices because she obviously has like, a very iconic kind of low voice. She definitely like refused to be a blonde. Oh, yeah. Girl. 
I think. It's true. Like she wanted to like be the Bond girl, be the Bond, so she became Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Be the Bond you wish to see in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, um, I hope you enjoyed this part of the show. And now get ready to hear us speak with Miss Caroline Monroe and Iona Duckdale. Buddy, we're going to transition to the second portion of this episode, an interview with the thrilling mother-daughter duo, Iona and Caroline Monroe. Caroline Monroe is an actress who has starred in several cult classics, such as The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Maniac, Slaughter High, Casino Royale, and of course, the 1977 James Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me. We talked to Caroline and her daughter, Iona, about their experiences with the Bond franchise and gleaned some special insights about its cultural impact. We hope you enjoy. Yeah, so obviously the context of the episode, all about Bond girl fashion through the decades and why it's become so iconic. And we wanted to know how you guys define the characteristics of a Bond girl, like what makes a Bond girl a Bond girl? Gosh, are we taking it in turn? Yeah, you go first. From, from me, from my perspective, having been one, because my, mine was in the, we actually filmed The Spy Who Loved Me in 76, and we filmed partly at Pinewood, and a lot of my stuff was done in Sardinia, so I was very lucky. But do you know what? If you, if you go right back to the first Bond girl, who I suppose would be Ursula, Ursula Andre, uh, Andres and Eunice Grayson, who is the actual first one. I think people, when they first saw a Bond film and they saw the women, nobody had seen anything quite like it. You know, it was quite revolutionary. You had this quite, I mean, he was wonderful, Sean Connery. He wasn't my Bond, but you had this quite, this wonderful character, very strong, very masculine, but also a bit of a, you know. Awesome. Well, no, I wasn't going to say I was going to say a ladies' man, I was going to say, but also a bit of a user. Um, having said that, he was the best spy out there. So the women, I think the start off, I found, even though Ursula came out of the water, I think when I saw it in the cinema for the first time and you saw Ursula come out of the water, I mean, that was quite, you know, as a as a persona, as an image, it was and still, I think, remains one of the most iconic images. A lot of people, when I go to the shows, if I go to the events, say that was a real moment in time in cinema. And even though her character was very, um, it was Honey, wasn't it? Honey Rider. It was a soft character. It was just iconic. And then, of course, then we had Pussy Galore in, on a, the wonderful, fabulous actress on a black man. She was actually pretty strong. She was a very, very strong character, very strong-minded. Having said that, I was most disappointed because she did succumb to James Bond's charms in the end. I feel, was she taken advantage of or did she mind being taken advantage of? And so that occurred in that film. And then the women started to progress a lot differently. All through the 70s, it was still pretty much, you had Jane Seymour, you had some wonderful women there. You had Britt Eklund, again, very feminine, very 
uh, succumbing to his charms, Bond's charms. I must say, at least my character, Naomi. You didn't have sex with him. I did not. I didn't want to. I just wanted to kill him. <laughs> you know, I wanted to have fun. So she actually kind of came into her own. Obviously, she's not going to survive because you've got James Bond. But with my character, and I liked that about it, I thought, yeah, I'm going to have fun with him. And Roger as an actor was just extraordinary to work with because he was so sweet, very modest, very giving as an actor. He'd really help you because I was I was really nervous, you know, at the thought of being in a Bond film. You know, it was a really nice little role, you know, something I could play with and get my teeth into. So I actually really enjoyed the role. And he was wonderful. Um, I was actually offered a role in Superman at the same time, playing um, Ursa, who Sarah Douglas brilliantly went on to play. But she was fantastic. My agent said, we know about James Bond and you're working with Roger. So I think that's the one you should choose. So I, you know, very happily did that. I felt very blessed. You know, I do. I look back on my career and I feel I fell into the career, not what I wanted to do. I, I actually thought I would do um, maybe something to do with art. I'm incredibly dyslexic, so I really struggled at school with dyslexia and low self-esteem because I remember my parents coming into a into an evening meeting with the teachers and I remember them saying, and it stuck with me, oh, yes, she's very sweet, she's very nice, but she's a little bit slow. And the word slow, I knew I was not slow. I was not dull. I thought, I'm not slow, but I, I, I struggled with reading. But that's so funny, though, because you went to, oh, yeah, not that they called you slow. That's not funny. That's, no, that's just rude. <laughs> but because you went to a convent. I did. And then I guess where there were so many restrictions and then suddenly you're on a billboard, like, in a bikini. Oh, I'm like slightly wrong. Good. But also, like, characteristics of a bong girl, I feel like. I kind of grew up surrounded by these women, so I guess I saw the real people behind the characters and behind the personas and I think that when most people think of Bond yeah you do kind of think of the visuals in terms of women so like Ursula who the looks, physicality yeah the physicality them, yeah. and like wearing bikinis and they look so hot they did but I guess I grew up with a different perspective because I know them all as individuals and they're all, they all have their own like essence of character and they're all so different and their styles. And I know them as women. like older women. women. Yes, that have been um, and uh, Martine, Maddie. Yeah. You know, you have all these amazing, Valerie, you have all these extraordinary women. Yeah. And, and you're right, I haven't thought about it from your perspective. But it's cool to see like pictures of them from when they were younger, like running around on the beach because they're all so magical. And and I think with all the women, we when we get together, we, we do the um, shows sometimes. I think so when we meet the women and, and, you know, we're getting on a lot of we, we're really getting on now in age wise. But I think when I meet them, they all have an essence of the inner child. They're fun. Yes, we're older. We look older and we are older. But they still have kept that sense of it's a I don't know what I you guess call you're, it it's, joie de vivre. It's you're a like sort a of bond girl for life, like it never yes. really leaves you. I suppose you kind of live with that very nice little label. It's it's a legacy, really. On the subject of bond girls, the characteristics of them, I think we had a question that surrounding the archetypal woman throughout the years. So, Carolyn, you've often been 
tasked with representing the female ideal and the glamour and the beauty of the feminine ideal throughout your modeling career in your acting career. And then you started your career, I believe, in 1966 when you were dubbed the face of 1966, right? By the evening news. I can't believe you've done so much research. Yes, I did. I was at art school on a Saturday. There was a chap there doing photography and he said, "Uh, could I take a picture? I said, yes. So he took a few pictures and unbeknownst to me, David Bailey, who was the photographer, the it photographer, in the 60s, he was having a competition for to find a, a face. And um, yes, and he asked my mum, he said, can I send a picture to David Bailey? She said, yes. Never thinking anything about it. It didn't mean <laughs> anything. I'd just left school, so I was very young. And um, yes, yeah, so I, I did become that. I can't believe you know all that stuff. <laughs> we were very excited. We were super excited to, to speak with you because you've had such an impressive career and have achieved so much. And we we just wanted to kind of get your perspective on what you think in your experience has changed about feminine ideals over time and what you think has remained the same. Yeah. I mean, for me, ideals have changed insofar as back in the day when I was starting out, as far as I know, there wasn't such a thing as, as cosmetic surgery and what you saw is what you got, basically. You know, mm-hmm. nobody was enhanced in any way. It was just what you saw. Yes, beautiful uh, lighting, fantastic lighting that they did, you know, the, the cameramen and, and things. But we were pretty much, you know, normal women back in the day. So I feel that the ideal for a lot of young women today has changed. And especially with social media, I feel that a lot of women, they look at social media, everybody looks perfect. And there's no such thing as perfection apart maybe from nature. And that's sometimes not, not, not perfect. But for me, it's different. I feel a little bit sad for young women when they look at stuff, you know, they're maybe never going to achieve because it isn't achievable unless you do, again, fabulous lighting and then have a little bit altered. Nothing wrong with altering, nothing wrong with altering at all. You know, I wished I'd had my ears stuck back. Mum kept saying, I think you should have your ears stuck back. We've all got big ears. Yeah. But I like them now. There was one photographer who said, I love your ears. They, you look like Dumbo. Yeah, and I remember like Dumbo. when I was 16. I love and I Dumbo. like my ears. I love your ears. All the better to, well, you've got the same. I think, though, <laughs> Pixie ears. I feel like, oh. I don't know, but even, even saying that, yeah, you were chosen when you were like 16 to be so young. the face of the 60s, like that's still, obviously beauty standards have changed because of the impact of social media but I don't think that we can really ignore James Bond for example talking about the female ideal within that yeah I think that now there definitely needs to be change because whilst the women are all so incredibly beautiful and I know them on a personal level on this they're all so different and so strong and amazing there is still an ideal that's there which does seem to me unattainable so like even though it's changed and as you say that that there are different pressures now because some people have access to tools that they didn't have access to before so like plastic surgery or with social media editing filtering so but I feel like there's just always been a pressure on women and maybe back then it was from these billboards and films whereas now it's just you have 
access to it on a daily basis you yeah. don't have to go out and search for it so it was yeah. it was different I mean it, don't forget I mean it's in the 60s I, it was 66 it's a lifetime more than a lifetime ago you know before any of you were twinkles so um I remember we were speaking about men whistling in the street mm. I remember my friend who's younger than I am she said the day people stop whistling in the street, she said, you, you feel invisible. And I thought, no, That's no, not so really. Weird. You know, I, it's fine. I never think about walking down the street. I'm an old lady. I don't feel like an old lady. I feel as young as I did in my early 20s. I feel exactly the same. But um, surely there but must have been a lot of there pressure were... on you as well, because to be chosen as to be like the face of... Yeah. 1966 when you're 16 like that's I suppose there was but surely... I didn't even think about it you know it wasn't my plan to be acting or to be modeling and there I was one of my first jobs I remember I was flown to Malta fabulous photographer called Brian Duffy and I had just possibly 16 16 and a half nearly 17 very young and it was for American Vogue and we did the cover of American Vogue and it was with a male French model and and a, mm. a lovely female model as well who was 23 and I thought she's so old and I was what nearly you know she but she oh was so God. protective of me because the photographer and he I know he's gone now but he was very I had no idea what he was saying to me because he wanted me to try and appear sexy and I was 16 and a half I, I don't know you know I had no concept of that but I remember she the the model that was standing there said to the photographer she said don't you say that to her don't say that to her oh, she wow. doesn't know what you're saying and I and I and I was kind of looking you know I didn't know what he was saying and she told me afterwards what he was saying and what he was saying was actually not very nice mm -hmm. you know, I had no idea you know I'd been to the convent I came out I'd won the face of the year and I had my pictures all over the place it was fine, but it didn't make me feel any different. I was still Caroline Monroe from Living at the Seaside. I did a film with David Bailey. It was called Gigi Passion. And on the film, the producers, we had Roman Polanski, who was to do with it, and Jean Katowski, who was some um, co-producer. And then I remember one evening, we'd been shooting all day. He, Bailey said, he said, all right, he said, we're all going to go out to dinner now to celebrate, you know, the filming and blah, blah, blah. And who turned up? All the Rolling Stones. All of them. Oh, you're kidding. No. Oh, my gosh. Because the lead actress, Chrissy Shrimpton, was going out with Mick Jagger, and suddenly they were all there. And I did know who they were. So in my little face, I seemed to think it was... Um, How old were you? Uh, maybe 17, maybe oh pushing eight towards 18. Again, you know, a bit green. That was, and we did, we all went out to dinner. I think I, I sat there. I didn't, don't think I uttered anything, but they were very, very sweet. You know, they were very nice. The Stones, really nice. Wow, that's so incredible. Did you feel like in that moment, like know that you were like in the center of it all? Did it feel that way when it was happening? Like that you just knew I, that you were in like this? I suppose so. I, I don't know. I didn't take it for granted. I just thought, oh my gosh, you know, my friends at the school, what would they think seeing these people that we'd seen, heard all the music, you know, the all the wonderful songs that they'd done. I got the one of the first... LPs because my father who was a solicitor a lawyer used to travel up and down from the seaside to London to go to his to the office 
and he traveled up and down with a chap who was head of Decca, Decca Records at the time. And um, I remember Steve, the, my father's friend, gave him an al album of the Rolling Stones. It was the first album. And he said, he said, give it to Caroline, see what she thinks. So they gave me this LP and um, I, I loved it. I loved it. And he said, what do you think of the look of them? And on the cover, they look really kind of grungy, you know, grungy. And sexy. Yeah, sexy. I suppose the word is sexy. Yeah, grungy, sexy, and, and very different from the Beatles, who also I love. Somewhat related to this, um, this is something I, just my own personal interest, I really wanted to ask you about. We found your music, uh, Tar and Cement. <laughs> and what a fantastic, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great. And so sweet. Uh, what I... I was so excited to learn that you were recording. Your backing musicians were Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, and Eric Clapton, which yes. listeners may know is the band Cream. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's funny. <laughs> I wanted to ask you how that happened. How you were? How how what it was like to record with Cream, and how you came about <laughs> doing this? Yeah. Do you know what we recorded in Abbey Road? I, I recorded oh. in Abbey Road Studios. And I remember my father came with me. But how how I I did it, I have no idea other than um, I used to sing in the church choir. Actually, I didn't sing in the church choir. My beautiful friend, Sue Evans, who's sadly no longer with us, Hilary, Hilary Sue, had the loudest voice you've ever heard. And I was chosen with her to go along and sing in the church choir at the top of the church and um, by a very strict choir mistress. And she had the loudest voice. So what I learned to do was mime. I could mime. And Sue would be singing loud and loud and I would be just miming. So it actually wasn't my voice, but my voice was, you know, my voice was on Tara Cement. So my, my father's friend, the one who used to travel up with Steve Beecher Stevens, had this wonderful producer called Mark Wirtz, who just had a huge album hit with Grocer Jack and... Um, you know, big number ones kind of all over, I think. And he was the producer and they'd got this little song, Tower and Cement. And Steve said to my father, he said, what, what do you think? Would she like to have a go? And he said, I'm not sure. Well, basically they persuaded me to have a go at this song. So it was all actually pre-recorded, pre-recorded. So I went into the Abbey Road Studios. My father was outside the studios while I went in and we I recorded. The band had put the, the music on, did the two sides. I did one and then Sporting Life on the other side, which was actually incredibly cool because it had um, Eric Clapton playing the most amazing guitar. And my 16, 17-year-old little self was singing. The, the B-side was called Sporting Life, and it went something like, I'm getting tired of running round. I believe I'll get married and settle down because this old nightlife, this old sporting life is killing me. And those are the words for this little and kid. 16. 16-year-old little kid singing these words. <laughs> anyway, that, that, that's really how I did the record. And then the record actually started to get some plays in um, England. It started to climb up a little bit. Um because it was quite a sweet song and um i'm not a singer i'm not really a singer i love music i'm passionate about music but i'm not really a singer um it started to get plays and there was a chap called david frost you're way too young to know but he had a big show in america but he was an english broadcaster 
So he had a big television show and they asked me, would she come on and, and do the song on David Frost? And my dad said, do you want to do it? I said, no, I really don't want to do it. Please, dad, I don't want to do it. So I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have to do this. But the wonderful French actress, um, singer called Francois Hardy went on and had a huge hit with it. So, yeah, that's my little foray into that. Yes. So I've, I've dabbled in music. Cool. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Warrior of Love, the one you should do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Iona has a, an amazing oh, voice. This one sings. This one sings. No, yeah. We were just, I was just about to bring that up because I know you mentioned that your single's coming out this summer, which is really exciting. And I wondered, like, was your house like a big music household? Did you draw influence from that when you were making your single? Um, I think that music definitely was a big part of our childhood growing up. I remember you were listening. The music that we listened to growing up, like your influences, aren't necessarily in the music that I'm putting out, but you used to listen to amazing, like Dusty Springfield. Dusty, like, yeah. Fleetwood, obviously. Fleetwood Mac. All like, the notes. All the notes, all of the classics. So I think that growing up, it was just music was really available to us. And my dad was a director and mum's an actress. So it was always, we were always able to explore any form of creative outlet that we wanted to, which I think is such like, such an amazing thing to be able to do so I definitely feel like I was inspired by you and your work on some level yeah um, so I like that not that I'll <laughs> go into the Bond franchise but I'm <laughs> like can. I'll come out of the sea do a Billie Eilish the Bond I mean do a Billie hey. Eilish oh yeah. that's right I'll all up and do a Billie Eilish I'm like <laughs> hey, oh. why not <laughs> Anything's possible, yeah, isn't it? Fuck it? The song is beautiful. Self-penned, wasn't it? It's oh, me. Wow. I'm working with um a friend of mine, Alex Parrish, who's an amazing producer. So we just started making music last year. But I like playing them too because sometimes I don't know. It makes me cry. It does make her cry, it gets but it's because oh. it's it's not sad music. It's not at all. no, but it's you music. Like she'll listen to oh. it and she's like, Oh, it's quite raunchy. I'm like, Oh god, this is it. so awkward. <laughs> no, some of the so lyrics not. and she's sat there crying. I'm like, You're not meant to cry, Mum. It's supposed to be the opposite reaction. But, oh, but, but it's just you, you know, it's really I'm yeah, so proud funny. of my my two girls are just extraordinary what was the costuming process like for Naomi like I know obviously that's another one where her iconic bikini maybe it was a similar thing but the, the thing is I mean the the girls unless obviously they're a big star mm -hmm. you know they don't really have I had no say in the costumes really because mine was the small part yeah. so I didn't have really much say I mean I had costume fittings and I knew I was to wear a bikini a brown bikini with lots of things dangling from it and this lovely robe I like the robe I like the robe a lot because it kind of felt slightly more covered up again it's a very strange thing being a woman and and I was a woman I was what 27 at that point so walking onto a set and mostly all male set albeit a couple of costume ladies so it is getting used to that sort of feeling and I think I'm a person who likes to wear boots <laughs> because boots no, it sounds funny, but make me feel grounded. I'm wearing boots now, purple boots, but I am wearing boots. But so they produced not boots. We can't really wear boots, I suppose, with a bikini and a long flowing thingy. But they gave me gold high heels. And I thought, no, 
not a gold person, as you can see, anyway. Oh my gosh, your silver, rings, wow. But they had gold high-heeled shoes. So I had to kind of learn to walk in these shoes. And, and you do. You walk a different way than I would say in my boots. I wore that. And in the other, the other scene, the helicopter scene and the scene where I introduced the um, professors, I wore and I felt much more at home in a white jumpsuit, which was lovely. It was linen. And I got to wear my bullet belt. So I felt much more at home in that, you know, much more grounded. The other one, I suppose it was their idea of thinking, well, she's obviously maybe coming to seduce Bond, to seduce him onto the island to meet the, you know, the baddie, Kurt Jürgen Stromberg. So maybe that was the costume people's idea. It wasn't my idea. Um, but I think obviously looking now at the women's clothing, it's very, very much stripped back. It's, you know, it's suits and more business-like, very tailored. It's a completely different look, which really works. I, I noticed on the last one, I noticed that the main character, um, what's her name, Joe? The blonde. Oh, Leah Sedo. Yes. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, she was wonderful. She was wonderful, wonderful. But I think the one that most people, when I go to shows, talk about, and Lishana Lynch was fabulous in that too, but the lady they talk about is the one wearing the sexy dress. You know, yeah. it's most of the men that come to the shows. It's the beautiful one who's got, uh, what's Anna? The, Anna you know, that one Who does the hike? Yes. yes. Gosh, you know yours. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I've been doing a show, a live uh, theatre show for two days and my brain's slightly, <laughs> slightly, <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. my memory could be the age, but anyway. Um, yes, but she was the one that all the men, when they come to the shows, oh, I liked her, you know, the, the, with the high high kicking. She was fantastic. You know, she was great, great little actress. Um, but that's the one they remember, which is interesting, and that's right up to date. I feel like, for me, I I think of Ursula because she was the first. She was the first. She was the first, and I feel like it's very, it's so iconic coming out of the water. Like, it just seems like, like a goddess. she's being born. It's yeah. super weird. But then... I think also my kind of history, I don't know if that's the right word, of a bongo is because you were a bad, you were a baddie, you yeah. were a bad bongo. You I was tried... a bit demented, I think, in it. That's how I No, you were, you were good. You didn't, you didn't have sex with them. You wanted no, to kill them, which I think them. is great. Yeah. Um, but I feel like for me, I kind of just envision like bikinis with like little like knives. Mm. Like I don't know. Yeah, like your belt, like something a bit. Edgy slightly yeah as edgy as you can get for a bond girl's costume i guess yeah. that's what i think i mean i think uh was it michelle yo in one of the films riding the motorbike and she really can do the stunts michelle yo she was one of my favorites i think she was a great role the roles um definitely changed you know the women became so much stronger they had much more you know interaction i think the dialogue was better for the women, you know, it was much more, much more now. The thing is, I think the Bond franchise had to change once the, once the Jason Bourne films mm. came. I think they had to reevaluate the look of the films and think, okay, Jason Bourne is very successful. The women are very strong in that. He was fantastic, Matt Damon, one of my favourites. But also, it had to change, and so it did. Hence, the casting of Daniel Craig that changed everything. And I remember the critics at the time, they were so cruel. They said, he's too short, he's too blonde, he's not as beautiful as the others. He was incredibly sexy. He was one of the best actors around. And he delivered. 
you know, that's the thing. And it was it brought a whole level of new, you know, newness to the franchise. And 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 from then on, he really he really made his mark. I think it was amazing. It's also interesting what you said about the Bourne series kind of affecting James Bond because we were actually talking definitely about did. that. Well, in my mind, I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah, we thought it, so as in well. My mind. Um, we're thinking about Daniel Craig's Bond. I know that him and Eva Green, who plays Vesper Lind, they gave an interview talking about how they see, you know, him as the Bond girl in the movies because he's, you know, showing off his body a bit more. She's a bit more... I guess, discreetly dressed at times. So yeah, it's definitely interesting to think about how that period of time, I guess, really changed some of the role. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it equaled out, I think. It equaled out, you know, the women mm. were, it was a more equal thing. Um, I think, Alexi, you had a question about the Lamb's Navy rum advertising, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I was so fascinated by the Lamb's Navy rum advertisements and how they represent this fantasy of like a tropical action-packed lifestyle in this very Bond girl way. <laughs> um, the styling is really amazing in those as well. So I was just wondering what it was like to be such a recognizable face of a brand like that. Again, it was a very strange thing. I just remember my father going, he worked in the city and the posters were literally up all over England which was such a shock, not only to me, but to my father's dismay. He went from Richmond, which is where we live, to, to um, Waterloo Station, which is a big station. He went up the escalator and he was confronted with this huge, first time he saw this huge poster billboard and with his daughter with this black wetsuit, which, <laughs> which they custom made cut down to my belly button no. and basically had a bucket of water so poured over my so I was wet and I had this knife strapped to my thigh and that was what my poor father was confronted with I remember him saying Caroline he said I've just seen I hadn't seen it he said I've just seen your poster he said it's very eye-catching and apparently a lot of his clients commented on it. Oh, and we've got a lot of clients, though. So, oh, um, my God. <laughs> I like the thought of um, all of the nuns at the convent seeing it. Oh, I don't know if they ever did. I reckon they will have done Do you think they would have thought? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. We had to wear long brown knickers at my convent. Yeah, it was... Um, I did it for 12 years. I had no contract with them, but they used to phone me up and say, you know, would you like to do another one? I said, oh, yes. Yes, so we did. So um, we started off in the Vogue Studios. It was, a, it was the Vogue Studios in Hanover Square in London where we shot the first one. The first one being shot in 71, 70, 71. And basically what it was, it was my shoulder that they put, because it was Lamb's Navy rum, They'd been using before, you know, big burly sailors, big beards and pipes and things and holding the bottle of rum. And the sales weren't doing terribly well, apparently. So what they did, they thought, oh, let's, should we use a woman? They said, yeah, let's try. So basically, I got chosen to do this advert. And the first shot was me with a basically bare little shoulder. And what they'd done, we didn't have tattoos or anything in those days, or they drew a ship on my shoulder sounds like a chip on my shoulder they drew a, a picture of a ship they photographed me so just with my shoulder and apparently the sales went up so then so they asked me the next year to do it so, and then the, then it progressed then we started you know doing the wetsuits and 
more daring wetsuits, red wetsuits. And then we used to go to down to Cornwall, usually in the winter to shoot these uh, shots. But eventually, uh, the first one, we went to uh, we went to Los Angeles. And that was really exciting. That was different. Again, we went to Los Angeles, uh, Marina del Rey. And then we went to Palm Springs to do the shoot. So for the first shoot, clothes changed. But for the first shoot, I remember earning £30. And that was used for a year. I got paid £30. And I thought, wow, £30, wow. which is about what? Forty dollars, thirty dollars. That was for the whole use of these big billboards. Um, oh my goodness! Yeah, so I, I did it for twelve years actually. But yeah, the clothes, the it was basically the same costume, except I remember the last one I did. I had obviously become an admiral at that point, <laughs> so I had stripes on my stripes, <laughs> stripes on my wetsuit. <laughs> yeah, 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 always holding the bottle. And I remember one thing, which maybe I shouldn't. It was quite funny actually. It was the last one I did. I had to have a hand model. My hands are not yeah. that pretty. The hand model had to come in under my armpit and hold the glass of, of wine, and I had to be. It was kind of weird because no, you see how it's, it's you funny. See it's funny it. because now when you now when you know that if you look at the photos, oh, yes. you can so tell yes. that the hand doesn't hers because it just looks like yes. it's like. Yeah, really small. It looks tiny it's little hand. Under <laughs> your oh, and I forgot to say, we did, um, not only did we do the posters, we did calendars, and the calendars became very popular. Yes, we used some of the wetsuits, but sometimes they said, Caroline, come up with an idea. I thought, yes, I know what I'll do. We were going to shoot down in Cornwall. So I, I went to a car place that does, um, you know, uh, Basically, I got some chamois leather, and I put the sh- I bought a few bits of chamois leather, and I put them together, and I made a bikini top, and I sort of put cuts in it and dragged it so it kind of hung down, and I put things like uh, stones if they had holes in them, shells I put on, shell necklace, and the bottom I did the same thing. So basically, quite a few of them are, uh, are made from chamois leather from a car shop. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, and then I wore a, a curtain once. I forgot that one. I got oh, a wow. curtain. They said, come up with something. So I had a curtain, a nice, it was white, and then I cut it low. They liked, they let, they liked it low. <laughs> so I had to cut it down a bit, and, um, and the sleeves were cut out. And then I wore a curtain cord around my waist, which was gold, and it looked really nice. Yeah, that's so interesting, because also it's like your bikini as Naomi also has like those dangly pieces, right? Yeah. So yes, like that, it it's did. kind of like there's these um, parallels. And I know that also the action element of the, the rum advertisements, that was yes. a bit of a seg, right? Into the working in the action genre. Yes, I suppose it was a bit. Yes, hadn't sort of. I suppose it was. Join the Lambs Navy. It was really, yes. I suppose it was. Yeah, I feel like kind of and sort every... Of yeah, because all of your films that was are early so, 70s. like, cult. But, so, like, every character yeah. you've had has had quite a strong aesthetic sort and of ca- lots cartoon. of them are. I, me- I remember Ray... No, sorry, Luigi in Stella Star said, I want the idea to look like a cartoon. I want Stella to be... So even kind of like an animated, yes, animated thing. So even with the when we did a lot of, I did a lot of karate in that. And then I had a stuntman, 
actually broke the stuntman's nose. Oh, which my is gosh. I went too quickly. Yeah, he was so, his name was Fred. He was Italian. Oh, Fred. I really, well, at least his nose really bled when I hit it. it was oh. awful. He said, he said, no, no, he said, you won't catch me. He said, you just, you make it look real. I said, okay, all right, Fred. All right, Fred. Um, anyway, <laughs> he, he, um, he didn't duck quick enough because Luigi said, okay, he said, actually, moto ve. And I went and I bopped him on the nose. His nose bled. Poor friend. Oh, it's an amazing story to tell. Now, <laughs> I, I, I digress. I've gone. Such a great story for him to it, tell. Yeah. And it probably yeah, looks so it realistic. Does, yeah. you know. <laughs> it, it, well, it did. Yeah, it really did. I had to do a lot of that. Hence, a lot of toupee tape sticking things down because Lots I had a of lot, boot tape. lot of boot tape. Yeah. That is so impressive. <laughs> I was curious also kind of like, really. what what kept drawing you back to these kind of like sci-fi, action-y horror roles across your career? I really don't know, you know. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know why I seem to sort of slot into that. Mm. I tell you what, I was asked after, after the James Bond film, Cubby Broccoli, the producer, yeah. said, he said, I think now I can introduce you to people in America. I think you should move to America and, you know, try your luck there. And I thought about it. I had my parents and they were getting older. Mm-hmm. I thought about it really hard. And I thought, actually, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to America. He said, but you could, you know, you, I feel you could, I can introduce you to people, to agents and actors. And I think you could do fine there. Um, but I chose not to. Mm-hmm. I chose instead to work in Europe. And I worked a lot in, in European films. I love the way the Europeans work. It's a, it's a different sort of way. I, I, I like the sensibility of the Italian directors. And, and now um, they actually embrace the older woman, which you look at. Um, not, actually, England's pretty good at that. But in America, you know, if you're over and if you're not huge, you know, if you're not a huge star, if you're... It, it would be very, very difficult for somebody like me to actually get a part, really, in, in anything because you're older and you haven't been dumb, you know, mm-hmm. you haven't uh, adhered to, to what is aesthetically pretty. So it would be much harder, I think. But I, so I worked a lot in Europe. I chose not to go to the States. Looking back on it, it might have been quite nice. I did work in the States. I did a film called Maniac in America. Oh, yeah. A very raw, brilliant film. Very hard-hitting film. I love Maniac. That movie. Um, I was. A, I used to be a big horror head, and that is such an iconic, very iconic cult, cult film. That was a. I was so excited when I saw that you were in. <laughs> it was like oh very cool. Yeah. Yes, I have actually. That was a. a oh before we we when we were putting this all together, I saw when you were in Maniac. I was like, oh, I know who that is. Like, oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very disturbing film. (laughs) I remember I watched it when I was really young, and I was just like, I was so disturbed. It's where he like cut. Yes, yes, yeah. Based is actually based. Joe Spinell and the director Bill Lustig. It was actually based on the Son of Sam. Oh wow! Oh, it was in somebody in the states. I think a a a murder, a multi, you know, murderer. And uh, loosely based on that. But I'd worked with Joe before. We'd done Star Crash together. He played in Star Crash, very over top. And he was a fabulous actor, Joe Spinell. He'd worked with Stallone, De Niro. He'd worked with Pacino. And he was just a brilliant character actor. And we did three films together. I always find talking about kind of the horror genre, because I, yeah, I guess I grew up watching these films and I find that meeting the 
actors at conventions all of the ones who are in horror films are like the nicest so (laughs) so sweet like so it's so kind of crazy that these are the characters they play like I remember going to a show when I was much younger in America meeting who's the guy from Chainsaw Gunner, you loved Gunner. You did Chainsaw Frog Face. <laughs> Chainsaw Do you remember Massacre. doing Frog Face with him? Like, yeah, we just did like little frog faces, but he was he just... You. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Everyone and he played in... the awful, awful... <laughs> yeah, he played the... The lead. The lead. Yeah. yeah. But, like, Leatherface. Yes, yeah, Leatherface. Leatherface. Yeah. But all of these people are just... Yeah, out of all of the actors... I know they're all amazing but yeah horror films they're just so sweet and quite shy very shy I feel like that's kind of you're not shy at all but I think maybe when people kind of meet you at shows because they see you away from your character Mm -hmm. because it's always such a contrast I guess maybe the perceptions that you think of someone like gunner yeah and then meeting him in real life and being like fuck like you're just such not a like, nice yes man. yes completely yeah. different to the to the which is good you know it's, yeah. it's kind of good that way yeah. people do have perceptions and they and they say well you're not at all like your characters i think the older i got with the acting the more obviously you're around it the more you watch wonderful people work hopefully it rubs off but i had no formal training because i had no plan to be an actress so I had no formal training. So I had nothing really to fall back on other than going onto a set and either sinking or swimming or, you know, I just had to try and do it. So it was a big thing. But then I was young and I had no, I, it didn't really matter if it did work until I started doing the Dracula with Christopher Lee. And then it, it changed my whole perception of, of acting and thinking, actually, I think I can do this. I actually really want to do this and and learn more about it and you know whereas before and and become sponge like you know you become like a sponge and and learn stuff it's it's kind of an organic thing but yeah I'm very much an ad lib girl as you can tell <laughs> I haven't read any good questions but I said I am I don't I know I was like I was like <laughs> I kind of want to have a look because what if I just realized I don't know anything about James Bond no. do you want to look at him she's like no, I like to improvise. I was like, okay, <laughs> and this is definitely improvising. It's very much so, I'm afraid. Yeah, you're both so well spoken and very eloquent. So, whatever you bring yeah, to the table, great. we're taking it. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Gosh, that's nice. Yes, so I don't know what was it like, kind of growing up in that that world of like sci-fi and kind of meeting these horror actors and just being around. I guess this this world of, of fantasy. It sounds so interesting. I think that as I've gotten older, the kind of one of, not one of the main things I realised, but we had a lot of like weird stuff in our house when I was growing up that I didn't necessarily (laughs) think was strange. So from the, from Sinbad or from Star Crash or whatever, we'd kind of had like, have like, not the originals, but like replica models of like Ray Harryhausen's centaur just on our mantelpiece in our living room. And I remember I had a friend over in primary school for a sleepover, which came into our living room and got really freaked out. And then I got a bit scared. So I was like, we'll go into the kitchen, we'll get kitchen knives and we'll hide them under our pillows and then we'll be fine. So we did that. So we did that and I and I got the centaur and I put it under a pillow. Um so I realized when I was growing up that maybe 
yeah some of like the visuals in my direct surroundings were really cool but just not like anything else that friends had at school um, <laughs> and I kind of grew up going to me and my sister grew up going to conventions so like autograph signings which are quite a like specific and niche environment mm. I guess to grow up in and it's been amazing because you get to to meet people that I guess you wouldn't necessarily meet had that not been your job and it's cool to see how these fantasy films like they're kind of they're more than fantasy for so many people like it's just you can see that they bring such joy to fans and like a sense of magic but yeah I guess for me it's growing up because I didn't think like I guess people kind of thought that maybe it would be glamorous or Mm. I don't know but it wasn't I think it was just it was fun I only remember going to um it wasn't the premiere but it was like one kind of red carpet and it was for Die Another Day which is probably why it's like my favorite Bond film and I think we just went to a preview and I remember exactly what I wore because I thought I looked amazing (laughs) I was in primary school and I wore this to the floor pink suede coat with like white fur it was probably from like Tammy Girl and I remember being like I just look fucking incredible (laughs) and then we got there and this woman came up to me and she was like I think you were off I don't know you're speaking to someone she was like you're allowed to have as much pick a mix as you want and I was like this is just this is (laughs) so I ate like three bags of pick a mix luckily I didn't (laughs) go up I passed out during the whole film woke up when everyone was clapping went home and that was probably about as glamorous as it got that one (laughs) it was cool I think as I've gotten older I guess I just now that I'm a woman I can appreciate your body of work so much more because I feel like when I was younger I just didn't really understand what it was because it sounds cliche but it was just her job so she'd just go away for the weekends go to shows we'd come with her and that was our norm but now I look back and even doing this like I get to hear you say stories which I haven't necessarily heard before so yeah it's it's super inspiring but yeah it was quite a (laughs) I just kind of yeah we grew up in a block of flats in like central London and the things that I remember most from childhood aren't anything to do with like the films Mm -hmm. or anything it was just like having a paddling pool in the garden and like letting off fireworks in like the middle of this block like she's she was a cool mum growing up we should not have let the the neighbor the neighbors hated us so much Um, but we had fun we did i think and we went to the park every day at night yeah every day and we went to night time it was quite an eccentric upbringing but it was it was fun i don't think it harmed you though did it? I hope oh not. God, I hope not. Or traumatised. <laughs> <I hope not. laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so nice. I mean, I think we just have a couple more questions. I uh, don't want to keep you for too long. I guess thinking about, you know, your whole body of work, if there was kind of one costume or outfit that you could keep or have kept, like what would it be? I think definitely would have to be outfits from Sinbad, the Golden Void yeah. of Sinbad. Oh. I believe, I mean, the costumes were so beautiful. I think they won some sort of award for the 
I can't remember the costume designer's name. They were so beautiful, beautiful fabrics, all hand-sewn, wonderful sort of sequin things and and beautiful colours, mm-hmm. a lot of my lovely purples and blues and and then the rich kind of reds and greens and, and they were beautifully cut. They were very feminine outfits. And and the men too, the men, uh, uh, John Philip Law and... Um, uh, Tom Baker. I mean, the outfits for the men and the women, but my costumes were so pretty. I just had to learn to walk in these strange shoes with a, because they were kind of Arabic shoes with a curl up at the top. That was quite tricky to walk in flat. I loved it. Sadly, didn't get to keep it. And my little character, Mariana, was very um, feminine. You know, she was very feminine. She was a slave. He freed her from um, slavedom and, um, and and it was lovely, and it was amazing working with Ray Harryhausen because he, for me, um, totally was the godfather of special effects. And when we went, when the kid, the children, the girls, and I went to his BAFTA in in London, he received his BAFTA. He received his BAFTA from Peter Jackson, who mm-hmm. came down and presented him with his BAFTA. But not only Peter Jackson, there was Steven Spielberg, um, Tim Burton. James Cameron, um, Rick Baker, fantastic um, a special effect person. All of them were, whether they were there or whether they weren't there. I remember Simon Pegg was there. Um, Andy Serkis was there. So you had these amazing people all paying homage to Ray. Um, and and um, he's such a modest man. And I remember him saying to me, he said, I like to create fairy tales, you know, fairy tales that people can you know, it takes them away and they can imagine. And I think he certainly did that um, with, with certainly with our film, The Golden Voyage, but with all his films. He was just an amazing filmmaker and I love working with him. And yes, those costumes would be the ones I would keep. I feel like I choose, they were amazing. I'd probably choose Dracula. Mm. Oh, the shroud. Oh, and the, the, the shorts and the funny thing. Just because I feel like, very modern that. Yeah, I feel like I would love to like wear that now. Like the yeah. the really again super low. It was very dress, low minus the fake blood or ketchup. Yes, yes. It was no, it was... On stage. And with the fringes. Yeah, and all of the guys' clothes were so you. good as well. I like there I'd are these. That. I wonder if you could have kept them. I expect I could because that was an antique. That was the only that was thing. So they were my boots. They were my boots. But yeah, so they're like I, again talking oh, I back to. What it was like growing up? I got we had so many images because she does lots of signings. So, kind of grew up with these images, like backstage shots of the filming, and I just remember those ones specifically because it was like you and like loads of young guys and girls just looking so hot, like dancing yes, around, yeah. wearing really seventies clothes. It was very seventies. I choose those for sure. And the band, the band were called what were the band called? Oh gosh. They sang Alligator Man. They, they were so cool. It was going to be the uh, uh, Small Faces. Rod Stewart was going to do the music. Um, but I think he might have been a little bit too expensive. So they got banned American, fabulous sort of hippie band called Stone Ground. And they did all the music. They did all the music live. And we actually just, you know, they just, the, the camera just. It looked really fun. Yes, it was fun. It was like a party. They said, just enjoy yeah, great cause. That's a good choice. Yeah, not so. Mm-hmm. Wear Stella Star stuff. I wouldn't want I would, would not 
be no. confident enough to wear <laughs> so much stuff. A latex, yeah, latex bikini, maybe. Yeah, but not those. Give me, give me a few shots of tequila and I'll feel like maybe I'll be safe enough to put that on. Gosh. Thinking now kind of for our last question towards the future, obviously there's been a lot of conversation around, you know, the next James Bond, who's it going to be? And with that, I think it also comes thinking about like, what will the next generation of Bond girls be like? And I wondered if you two had any thoughts on what you'd like to see from that or what you'd like that to look like. I personally because they always keep, we always get asked this, especially if it's a bond. It's it's the sixtieth uh, year of bond, so we've had a we did a whole big thing in London recently. We've got a lot of bond things going on at the moment, and you always get asked, "Will there be a female bond to start off with?" And basically, the answer would be Barbara Broccoli, the producer, and I think all of us ladies would say no because it was Ian Fleming's character, and it really has to remain a man. Actually, has to remain a a man but the females i don't know physically but but boy oh boy you know the last lot proved to be you know something to be reckoned with so obviously they're going to be they were beautiful all three of those those women in that film were were um extremely beautiful i also think i'm just just stepping back not to digress but judy dench surely was the ultimate uh bond woman yeah had to be yeah. didn't she, really mm-hmm. i'm so sad that when yeah when she she didn't come back, but um, I don't know. I don't know how they. I mean, you're I you're, you're like, now. So what would you um, think? I feel like there definitely needs to be change within the Bond girls' physicality. Um, like all of the Bond girls are, and again, knowing them on a personal level, they're all so unique and so wonderful in their own right individually. But I do think that we see with that genre of film like there is a typecast in the bodies of bond girls like they all look Mm. like they look different but there's not like it's basically the same and i feel like a little bit in it it is in, in my opinion and i think that that's the thing it's like it's kind of what we were talking about at the beginning like a bond girl's legacy yeah or bond girl characteristics and it's like you can still have the characteristics of a Bond girl, but I feel like now they should look different because there shouldn't be kind of one type of woman that's shown. It's like the same way that you were saying, talking about social media and like the yeah. pressures of that. Yeah, I feel like it should translate to film and every other art form um, because I think that it would also just make it a bit more interesting for me personally. Like I find it so amazing to watch your film and to... Like, because I again, I the Bond women that I know on a personal level, like I, I I love watching them when they were younger. But I think going forward, I would be more attracted to the franchise if there was change. And I think that needs to be in get different body sizes to yes. be a Bond girl because I never find it particularly comfortable watching one type of person on film, regardless of what franchise it is. And I think that because James Bond is so famous, they kind of have so much power and so much space to create some form of change. And I think that, Mm. yeah, growing up around it, I would like to see some, like, evolve within that. I think think Barbara, Barbara Broccoli, is, is very much aware of that. I would think she would be very much aware. But whether she's... And she is the boss, she and Michael Wilson... 
um, they are the bosses, but it depends. You know, it all comes down to, I suppose, the money and the and the casting people. Casting people are still the majority is is still men. I mean, you do get some wonderful casting ladies, but it, again, it depends on the writing and it, it also yeah the writing. They've got some a really good team, especially with uh, Phoebe Phoebe Wallerbridge coming in. It's it's brought a new element, and she's so much you know for the for the woman. So I, I think. Maybe, sorry, I'm no, being go, go, so go. rude. No, you're so not. I feel like, yeah, we were kind of talking about like Daniel Craig and how we've seen change and transformation, albeit not that huge mm-hmm. within the character of James Bond, who is a man. I guess we've seen him go through transformations where he's become more physical or like he used to depend on gadgets. And I feel like now in the new James Bond, like, You've just seen some change within him, and I guess some even critics, the look of him too. Even, the yeah, look. exactly totally. the look, and again, not massively changed, but it has evolved slightly. And so I feel like it would just elevate the Bond. I just think there should just be a different type of Bond girl, other than like super slim, like curves in the right places, because that does just add pressure onto young women, like kind of every other film and social media yeah no, I guess. No, that's true yeah that's my yeah. opinion anyway no I, I think it's good because I think um you know it, it, it's interesting because I don't know if we've if the Bond franchise has lost the young people I'm not sure I mean when we uh, in some cases you know it's die hard um you know people that have watched them from the beginning so they're they're used to the certain look you know the certain thing about the Bond woman um I, I think you're absolutely right because I think if Bond are going to continue on with a new Bond, whether um, my thought is it's going to be a younger Bond this time, and I think you're right again. Barbara is very aware of this that she must change with the time, like she did change with Daniel Craig. It was a different sort of way. Um, so yes, if they were brave enough to go for, and I think they will be. I think she will be. Don't forget it's going to be a year or a year and a half before they actually shoot the things. They've got to choose it, got to write it. And I think the writing, if Phoebe Wallerbridge is involved, she will do that. She yeah. will do it and they'll get women that are suitable. I think they will. I think they will. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes sense since, you know, the Bond movies always kind of reflect the changing times in some way. And obviously yeah. the change that you just described, Iona, has been so big, especially for millennials and gen z in terms of you know who they want to see on screen um but i think that's a a great place for us to end thank you so much to both of you for sharing your insight and your stories honestly you're both so incredibly intelligent and like so wonderful to speak to so i really can't thank you enough for making the time to do this Oh, no, thank, thank you all so thank much. Thank you all. Your thank lovely, you so lovely much. questions. Really yes. different and interesting. So, yeah, I'm going to listen out for it. <laughs> oh, so excited. Yeah, it was such an honor to speak with y'all, both very charming ladies. Um, and we can't wait to share this with our audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm.